Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. The podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. As well as insight and analysis on all the big debates in football. Today, I'm very, very pleased to welcome back uh, this summer window Sergio Crianthus, uh, our Portuguese superstar, assistant director of the Portuguese CIA, as we've spoken about many times. The man whose car is a Mercedes but has a Renault engine. Welcome back, Sergio. Uh, that's a really, really good introduction. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm up to the, the expectations that you have put me. We will make sure that you come through, don't you worry. And of course, transfer guru Duncan Castles, as always, joins us. And we're going to start today's podcast with one of the tales of the summer. Bruno Fernandes, the man who's going everywhere, but hasn't yet gone anywhere. Now, pleased to say that we've got the two men in the know, as always. Bring us up to speed with the news. Duncan or Sergio, you choose who goes first. You want me to go first? <laughs> I'm going, of course, I'm waiting for you to say all the, all the, all the bad things. Yeah, well, um, the update which we had yesterday was that Tottenham um, had travelled to Lisbon to speak to Sporting about the uh, transfer of Fernandes. Um, Two-man team led by uh, Matthew Collicott, who's the uh, head of operations and finance at Tottenham and is involved in uh, a lot of the the transfers there for obvious reasons. Um, what I understand is that they have made an offer of 45 million euros for the player, which is uh, very Daniel Levy-like because, as we've uh, told you in the podcast some time ago, um, Fernandes has a side clause in his deal uh, that he signed last summer, um, which allows him... Uh, if Sporting do not accept an offer of 35 million euros or more to receive 5 million euros from Sporting in compensation. So Tottenham have basically targeted that figure and, uh, and moved a little bit above it and forced Sporting's hand in the sense that they now have to compensate Bruno if they don't sell a player who they have been planning to sell all summer, who have, they've allowed the agent of to actively market around Europe and, and bring... Um, a big uh, transfer fee in, who their president has said he will not sell for less than 62 million euros uh, in public to the fans. So the pressure, I think, is is on um, Sporting now to negotiate a deal with Tottenham, with Tottenham confident that um, they're in a strong position in the sense that they know Sporting want to sell, they know the player wants to leave and get an upgrade on his pay package. Um, they know they put uh, Sporting in a difficult position in terms of that five million bonus. I'm told that there, the, there were plans to meet again today for further discussions on that um, transfer. 
um, to see if they can get closer to an agreement. And I think, Sergio, you can add uh, a bit of important detail in terms of one of the things that's changed um, with sporting and the agents being used in uh, making this transaction happen. Yeah, you got everything right, Duncan. Um, what I can add is that uh, until now, George Mendes was not uh, involved in this, uh, but Sporting gave them gave him a mandate, and Mendes has an agreement with the agent of Miguel Fernandes or Bruno Fernandes to do the deal. Um, the agent of Bruno Fernandes is Miguel Pinho, who is actually his um, brother-in-law, is uh, the brother of Bruno Fernandes' wife. Um, so he has, uh, of course, a um, personal connection to him as well. Um, what I understand f- from yesterday is that Tottenham, yeah, they, they made the 45 million euro offer, um, but they showed willingness to increase the offer. Uh, we heard the information we got is that um, yesterday they they were open, they showed, um, they opened the door to reach 60 million euros. Uh, sporting they won 70 um, which is which would be the the highest transfer ever for them so far the record they have is uh, João Mari to Inter Milan for 40 million euros um, 40 uh, and um, with the with the 70 million euro um, transfer they would, they would reach a new high in their history and it will happen in the same season and of course it's something that the fans always look to the same transfer window when Benfica gets um, 120 million euros for for a player, uh, in this case for João Felix. So it's also good. Um, I mean, in, in a political sense, for the for the sporting president, it's good for him. Uh, he, he can sell Bruno Fernandes um, uh, for for a, um, a price that the fans will consider cheap. Uh, even 70 million euros, a lot of fans are saying is not a lot of money, considering Jean Felix was sold for by 120. Um, the fact that Mendes is in the deal, of course, it opens a lot of doors. Um, the information we have is that uh, it's not clear that Tottenham will get the player, though it's true they are still negotiating. Um, this morning, Bruno Fernandes was in training, but the agent went to the Sporting's Academy, which is in Alcochete. Uh, about 40 kilometers south of Lisbon. Um, the agent uh, is there. He, he went there. He met the uh, sporting president, uh, Frederico Varandas, and also sporting director, uh, Hugo Viana, the former Newcastle player. Um, and they, they, met, they met again this morning. Um, what sporting are saying officially is that the meeting was for, uh, to discuss another player, a youngster they have. But uh, of course, the Bruno Fernandes is on the table, and and um, um, probably it was just uh, preparing the the meeting they are likely to have during the day. My, I think the, it will be held in the afternoon in the club's headquarters in Lisbon. Um, I, as I said before, I'm not sure if Tottenham will be his final destination. I think with George Mendes in, involved. Um, you should consider as well other options, other English teams, um, and even Atletico Madrid because they are looking for a, an attacking midfielder. And Mendes, of course, has great, great uh, relations with them. And I would not be surprised if um, if um, uh, an English club doesn't pay the 17 million euros um, if Mendes will will bring something from Spain or from Italy uh, after that. 
Um, Mendes hasn't uh, worked so much with Sporting lately, and I also think that uh, it will be good for him to have a club uh, that's willing to work with him, that he gets a, a deal that Sporting likes right now. Um, so I think Bruno Fernandes will will be sold for over 70, for above 70 million euros, uh, this transfer window. And as Duncan said uh, before, I have some doubts that Tottenham will reach that figure. Yes, I, I, I can't see Tottenham paying 70 million euros straight for Bruno Fernandes. Um, they've already put down club record 62 plus 10 for Um We told you on the podcast uh, last week that they had very ambitious plans going into this window in the sense that uh, they wanted two top-class midfielders um, to play either side of um, Harry Winks um, as a first-choice holding midfielder and a, and a number 10 and a player for the attack and a left-back, um, Ryan Sessegnon, being one of the, the key figures there. I think Tottenham could structure a deal in which um, it looks nice for Sporting in the sense that the, the, the total fee would be 60, 65, 70 million euros based on bonuses. But were they to do that, I would expect the bonuses to be quite hard to achieve. Um, so, and as Sergio says, having Mendes in there opens up a lot of other options for Sporting um, in terms of connections to other clubs. He could market the player too and, uh, and put, put an alternative uh, deal in place. In parallel... You have Tottenham trying to complete a move for Giovanni Lo Celso in a similar situation there in the sense that they, their offer for the player is uh, 45 million euros. Betis want more, have to get more money because they, um, they signed him uh, for 25 million from Paris Saint-Germain after having him for a year on loan and, um, and are, are, have to pay Paris Saint-Germain 20% of any profit. So 45 million would give them uh, a paper profit of 16, only 16 million on um, Lo Celso, uh, and they have already committed to signing Nabo Fakir for uh, considerably more than that. So they'd effectively be um, losing out to bring in an older, um, probably less capable now, given Fakir's uh, record of injuries, um, player in to replace him. Um, so it, I think it remains to be seen how aggressive Tottenham are prepared to be on all of these moves. Obviously, you've seen Maurizio Pochettino again putting pressure on, um, on his uh, owner uh, to do something in the transfer market, to live up to his promises post-end on belly. Um, and uh, they have a lot of work to do to, to meet all of those uh, promises in the the, the few days they have left before the, the Premier League season starts and the, and the English transfer window closes. Yes, and, and Lo Celso, from what I hear, uh, Betis are also struggling uh, because Lo Celso has a really high salary. I was told it's uh, 7 million euros uh, uh, before taxes, which is a lot uh, for a club like Betis. For, I mean, it's a lot for every club in the world, but uh, for Betis, it's, of course, it's a lot of money. And um, and they are a bit under pressure because they they are they were counting on on getting a, a good deal for for Lo Celso, and right now they are um, under a lot of pressure. Um, there's also Atletico Madrid because they they 
they may wait for the the end of the transfer window in England uh, to use the um, to 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 go for Ocelso, given the fact that Betis would be uh, running out of options to sell him. Um, but uh, but uh, and right now Tottenham are moving to Bruno Fernandes apparently, so um, could be could be a problem for them as well. So let me just um, throw a little bit of a you know iron fire here. We both know all of us know that um, George Mendes has a very good relationship with Ed Woodward. Does that make a possible transfer for Bruno Fernandes more or less likely? In my opinion, I think it's um, uh, the agent of Bruno Fernandes, Miguel Pin, was trying uh, a lot uh, to do it with Man United. He, actually, there were uh, there were a lot of stories in the Portuguese press uh, claiming that Man United would come with an offer. Um, they were interested, and the fact, and also in the Italian press, by the way. But the fact is that the, from England. Um, you never saw it. I mean, what the reports of the English media that I saw was that Man United they like him, but is not. They haven't made any any approach or any any offer. Uh, so I with Mendes things may change, okay. But uh, I think that if if Man United was uh, really interested on the player, maybe they they would have already moved for him. But I don't know if, if there's any other information about this. That that would depend on Paul Pogba and Real Madrid, wouldn't it? Yeah, we talked about this on, the, on Wednesday's podcast. Manchester United say they have made no effort to sign um, Bruno Fernandes. Sporting have been very clear and said not only has there been no offer from Manchester United, there hasn't even been contact from Manchester United. Um, I see him and my guidance is as a, as a replacement for Paul Pogba, as an option to replace Paul Pogba should he move to Real Madrid, which Manchester United do not want to do. Um, so there, there is a possibility there, but um, as it stands, that hasn't been worked on. Um, I spoke to someone who had talked to Miguel Pino, uh, Fernandez's direct agent, last night and Pino was saying he was very confident about Tottenham um, and uh, expected that to progress today and also indicating that he'd be, Bruno would be prepared to put pressure on Sporting to try and facilitate that move. I think after they played the, um, the Super Cup game against Benfica this weekend, which is very important to Sporting. Um, but I'd gone quiet. Pino had gone quiet on the Manchester United end of things. Um, so, it, it, to the extent you can take that as an indicator, now that there is a, a greater player in the deal, which is George Mendes, and I think Mendes has a, a kind of love-hate relationship with Manchester United. Um, you know, the, the, he has done a lot of deals with Ed Woodward in the past. Not all of those deals have worked. From Manchester United's perspective, there's been a lot of conflict over, um, obviously, Jose Mourinho and uh, David De Gea. Um, so, again, I don't think there's, there's any guarantee that Mendes' involvement makes Manchester United an obvious favourite destination for Fernandes. And, and certainly, um, Tottenham are the club who've made a bid. Uh, we said on Wednesday there was only one other club that had made a bid previously. That was Olympic Marseille. I'm told that bid was for 35 million euros. 
um, and it was obviously dismissed by Sporting as not being anywhere close to the amount they expected to receive for him. Well, we do hope for Bruno Fernandes' sake that he does not become the new Nico Gaetan, the man linked with uh, a club every summer, but never actually leaving the club he's at. Um, he well, left eventually. He did, he did. And we'll come come back to Nico, our favourite uh, Portuguese uh, player, even though he's not Portuguese, obviously, but Argentinian, um, later in the podcast. Sergio, just before we go on, tell us how important the, the Super Cup is in Portugal, because we, obviously we have, in England, we have the community field, and it's not really uh, considered of, of great importance, although the winning manager generally tried to add it to their trophy count at the end of the season for um, for uh, PR purposes. How, how, is it, how is it viewed in Portugal, the equivalent? Uh, it's it's well it's important this season because it's uh, Benfica versus Sporting which are the uh, the biggest rivals from the biggest city um, and uh, it it becomes more important because of that um, it's it's a, a special game because normally it's held uh, outside the biggest centers this season it will be in the Algarve uh, where a lot of people are lots of people are on holidays. Um, and it's like um, a nice summer game, you know, hot, uh, hot weather. Probably it will, be, it will be in the evening. It will be 25 or 26 degrees. And it's like a kind of game that normally, since teams are not uh, at their best level, normally it's, uh, uh, the games are very, very exciting. You know, it's, it's not, uh, they're not very tactical most of the times. They are games that are very passionate and they're... Um, for, for the fans, it's it's a matter of being uh, a Benfica sporting most of all, because um, when it's um, normally it's one of the top teams that wins the league. Uh, sometimes they play against a smaller team who wins the cup or plays a cup final, and uh, it's not such a big deal the, the game. But it's it's a trophy definitely for for us. Uh, we count it as a trophy, and Sporting has an amazing record because they they played the, they played it nine times. The, the competition was, was created in the late 70s. Uh, Sporting played it nine times and they won um, eight. The last last eight times they played it, they, they won it. And Benfica has a terrible record. Uh, the, although they are the club with more cups and, tro- and leagues in Portugal, they have just won eight times the, the Super Cup. Um, so it's... Uh, or seven times, actually. And so it's... Um, it will be a game that uh, I think, above all, it will be... A, like a, a proof of strength, and it normally affects the um, the start of the seasons of each team in the league. You know, because one of the teams that the, the team that loses the game uh, will be there will be probably the fans will not be happy. They will be a, under pressure for for the uh, for the league games that will be starting next week. Well, as Duncan said, we have the Community Shield here in England uh, this weekend, which of course sees the Premier League winners play the FA Cup winners, which means it's Manchester City versus Manchester City. So I guess Man City win that one, really. Oh, no, they don't. Liverpool are going to be involved. Maybe, Duncan, it'll be that second place trophy Liverpool fans were asking for, having lost out on the league by one point. Uh, don't, you don't have to answer that, don't worry. Um, Let's move on to Paulo Dybala, guys. Um, this is something which uh, we've been trailing for a long time. Go back to May 7th, you'll have heard us talk about Manchester United's interest in the Argentina striker-attacking stroke midfielder. <clears throat> um, Paulo Dybala has been given the weekend off by Juventus. 
He uh, is at home resting after his Copa America duties with Argentina. Um, it's our information that a delegation of Manchester United will travel to Turin to meet with him and his brother and agent Gustavo this weekend to try and find out if they can agree personal terms. Plus, as we reported in the podcast on Wednesday, the commission which Gustavo is asking for, which is believed to be around 12 million euros, which is proven to be a sticking point in itself. Um, one of the problems, which is always the case when you employ a not non-professional agent, i.e. a family member, to be your representative is that um, because they have no prior knowledge of dealings in football, they simply look at the club who's trying to buy their client, or in this case brother, uh, look at the highest wage and say, yeah, he wants that. Which is exactly what Gustavo appears to have done with Manchester United. He's looked at Paul Pogba and David De Gea's contracts and said he wants £250,000 per week. Manchester United are balking at that at the moment in terms of a basic wage. They'd rather pay him under £300,000 per week plus bonuses. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal-breaker. Um, Duncan, there's a lot going on at Juventus in terms of uh, not just Dybala, isn't there? I, they, they've done a lot of very, very clever business this summer, but they've also uh, need to raise money if they're going to do more. Uh, and you have information that they are planning to do one more big inward transfer. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, I mean, we talked over the last week about how they had to raise cash, and that, that's essentially why Dybala is available. Um, as we said, Dybala's preference is to remain at Juventus, although he wants um, he wants a commitment to know that he's going to be a, a starting player in the squad, and that's not entirely clear from Maurizio Sarri at the moment. But he's he's the player who they can raise the most money for, a valuation of around 100 million euros. Um, they want a centre forward. And Lukaku uh, has come into that deal as uh, as the option to uh, to be involved in in a swap because of United's uh, interest in Dybala. The other player that Juventus have been hoping to sell and had been counting on selling was Jean Cancelo. Um, Manchester City very interested in the player. Have done a lot of work uh, on the player's side to put a deal in place. Had terms agreed with Juventus. For a transfer, but been waiting um, for uh, a buyer or someone to take Danilo off their hands uh, because they had to make space in the, the squad for uh, Cancelo to come in. Um, we told you that uh, Juventus already had a replacement in mind for Cancelo. That player would be waiting for the deal to be completed, so his transfer comes through. I can tell you now that the player they had a deal lined up with was Dani Alves. Um, a two-year contract had been offered. Uh, Danny Keen to go back to Juventus and uh, and carry on in European football, but the delay resulted in other clubs um, negotiating with Danny. He has been offered uh, a three and a half year and accepted a three and a half year contract at São Paulo, um, which takes him through to the world, the next World Cup, which is his ambition to play in and win for Brazil. As a result, Juventus are now prepared to uh, discuss the possibility of taking Danilo from Manchester City to allow the Cancelo deal to go forward. Uh, there is a debate over the valuations of the two players. Um, obviously, 
Manchester City rate the player at higher valuation than Juventus think he's worth and they have to take on significant salary. But I think the key thing here is it's an indication of how keen Juventus are to raise cash in the market that they're, they're prepared to consider taking a player that they previously did not want in order to facilitate that sale to get a, tra- a profit of perhaps 40, 45 million euros Um, net on the Cancelo deal to apply elsewhere. Um, That obviously has implications for Dybala and Manchester United in that um, if Juventus take £45 for Cancelo, they would not be as dependent on um, moving Dybala to United and could look at other suitors for the player if they can find them um, and would give them potentially the possibility to buy Lukaku straight without involving Dybala in the deal. As we said, um, Sari has an interest in using Dybala. He sees him as a good option to play in that striker position. It's just he wants a a big striker as well as that nine-and-a-half type striker to use in separate tactical situations and games. Sergio, do you think um, Chao Cancelo would be a good uh, recruitment for Manchester City in the circumstances? Well, it depends on the price. Uh, as a player, I think is is a obvious, obviously a very good uh, right back, a very offensive right back, and uh, um, the kind of um, uh, right back that could give width to to the team. I think that's probably he would suit well in the way Guardiola wants his teams to play. Uh, have a role, a similar role like Dani Alves had in Barcelona, giving lots of width. The team allowing the the wingers to play uh, in a in their um, and then but it depends on the price. He's still young. I think uh, if they get him uh, for fifty or sixty million euros, uh, it could be a really because uh, considering the the figures that we are talking in football right now, um, and and probably they they would uh, they would have a a player that. Uh, uh, it's funny because Cancelo, it's a player that uh, even the guys at Benfica are really surprised with his career uh, because they never felt he had the, the mentality uh, to become a, a top player. They always found he was um, a very good player, very skillful player, lots of uh, qualities on the pitch. But in Benfica, they, they had some doubts about his personality uh, because they, they felt he was not uh, not like Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva is a player that Everyone in Benfica always uh, thought he had the exact mentality to be to become a professional football player. Uh, Cancelo, no, uh, the way he behaves, they, they they thought he was he would probably be be somewhere in on his path. He would take some wrong decisions, uh, but then again, he had a um, a dramatic story when when his mom uh, died in a car crash. Um, and he was in the car with uh, with uh, with uh, with his mom, and they had an accident, and then his mom died. He was seventeen or eighteen, I think. Um, and that incident, I think, changed his life and probably changed his mentality as well. And probably that's why I I, I think now he's ready for everything. He's ready to play to play at a very top level, um, as he did in the last uh, two years. And Duncan. Manchester City have done some business. Obviously, Rodri signed for a club record fee earlier in the window. Um, 
bizarre goings-on between them and Bayern Munich regarding Leroy Zane. We've reported already in this, week po- this week's podcast the various um, uh, quotes from people at Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, from Kovac, the coach as well. Um, it seems that Kovac has had to apologise in public for making comments about Zane and the potential to join Bayern Munich. And um, despite the fact, Duncan, that you reported that uh, City had given permission for Bayern to speak to Zani directly in May of before the transfer window, just prior to transfer window opening, it seems now that City are kind of almost reneging or certainly backpedalling on that um, in terms of they're now sort of changing the terms of any potential deal. I think it's the case. The, the issue here is it's taken so long to complete and Manchester City are now in a difficult position in that they only have a few days left uh, in which to sign a replacement should Sani choose to leave. The, the stance has been all along, as described when we first broke this story in May, Sani has two years left in his contract. Manchester City wanted to extend his contract. He was refusing the terms they'd offered them. They did not uh, want to take the risk of holding him at the club um, and allowing his contract to run down uh, till it had one year left and his value reduced significantly. There were issues between him and Pep Guardiola. Those issues are seen very clearly in the, the, the low number of games um, he started for Manchester City last season. Zani's a difficult guy to handle. He uh, believes he should be a top figure in whatever team he plays. So he should be starting almost every game and he should be paid as one of the top players in the club. Uh, Bayern Munich took advantage of that um, and uh, City were prepared to sell the player to Bayern if he decided to leave uh, and if they met his financial terms. Bayern have talked a lot about Leroy Zani number of the players have talked, their coaches talked, uh, the senior executives at the, at the club have talked. As you say, Niko Kovac has had to apologise. I think if you look around his apology, he apologised but then essentially said what I said was accurate in the sense that I am confident that uh, my executives are going to complete this deal. I think you, you also if you look at what he said, the thing that probably upset Manchester City the most was um, he, while talking about Zani, he also said that we have to fight against state-backed clubs um, and mentioned Abu Dhabi, Qatar and Dubai. So obviously the, the, the phrase state-backed uh, is very sensitive for Manchester City at present um, and was something that uh, they wanted to see the coach uh, reined in over. Um, they are now briefing that they want 150 million euros for Zani and will not sell for less than that. Um, I cannot see Bayern paying 150 million. Uh, Bayern's stance has been that their budget for this position was 80 million. Um, The expectation had been that the the, the eventual price would probably be 100 million tops. Um, And I think that that stance from City is a reflection of them knowing they're in a difficult position in terms of not being able to replace and uh, perhaps taking a, a, a decision that, that they will have to retain Zani and, uh, and try and convince him to sign that new contract. If they can't, then just take the risk of, of what happens in a year's time when his, uh, his value will have declined because he has, has less, term, less time left on, on his deal. 
sounds a bit Duncan like um, well, we know that City are, are not keen to sell him but as we've noted in the past <clears throat> there are personal certainly personality issues between Pep Guardiola and Leo Azani um, got to say though friend of Sergio Aguero is currently considering his future could play on the left or right side of a three man attack on <laughs> Paolo Dybala <laughs> could we could we possibly see a shock entrance into the Dybala debate by Manchester City if Zani was to leave for Bayern? Uh, not something I've considered. Um, not something I've heard about. I, it's not very much... I'm just it. throwing it out there, Duncan. I'm throwing it out there. I know, and I'm, I'm kind of throwing it back because it's not... Throwing it back at me. Yeah, it just hit me. Uh, Thanks. It's, it's, not, it's not a very Manchester City-like thing to do. Um, you know, they, they have defined targets for positions. There's no doubt they'll have worked on options uh, to succeed Sani in, in the, um, if not the expectation that he left, but just with a due consideration that they'd allowed the player to speak to Bayern Munich. And um, therefore, there was always the possibility that he would decide he wanted to go there and they would have to replace. And you know, as we've said on a, on a couple of podcasts recently, the noises I've been hearing around that is that Zani has a significant reluctance about moving to Bayern Munich. Um, and you know that that is borne out in the fact that this deal has taken so long uh, to to push through because this you know this is something that was in movement in May, and we still don't have a decision um, in August. Uh, so th- there is an issue there. Whether that's simply um, Zani and his people playing hardball with Bayern to get the maximum uh, deal possible from them, um, or they feel that doing it this way can uh, can get the the deal they want from Manchester City. Um, we'll see. But it's um, certainly you know public conflict between the club. The clubs won't help resolve the situation. Sergio, you've seen many transfers um, proceed, succeed, fail in uh, your time as legendary Portuguese man who knows everything about what's going on in transfers in and out of Europe. Where do you see this one going? Do you think it's it's likely to happen? Or given what Duncan's been telling us regarding the player himself and Bayern Munich, do you think this is simply going to you know, peter out and, uh, and and nothing will happen as of next Thursday, August 8th, when the transfer window closes in the UK? Uh, it, it's hard to tell, honestly. Uh, I think if you ask me a couple of weeks ago, I would probably say um, it will happen because uh, in the end, um, the clubs want it to happen. Um, the player will want it to happen for the right uh, money. Uh, so, in the end, uh, all all the the wheels will be together. Uh, right now, with with the transfer window getting so close to to the end, um, it's harder to tell. Um, um, I don't see. I don't know if if uh, Bayern Munich is somehow waiting for the um, for the transfer window in England to close to to try to do something. Uh, um, I would be surprised. Um, but uh, if I have to, put, if I had to put my money now, I would say probably it's not going to happen because there's not many days left uh, for Man City to find to find to use that money. Uh, that I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you, Sergio. I think one of the things that the um, the decision to close the window before the beginning of the season 
uh, of the Premier League season has done is uh, handicapped English clubs, particularly the Premier League clubs, obviously, from doing business with European clubs, um, both in and out, but mostly out because clubs would be very, very wary of allowing anyone which who may weaken their squad if they go to leave um, for a rival in Europe after the close of the window on August the 8th. And in this case, obviously, Bayern Munich are the only suitor for Zane. And I just don't see how City replace a player of that quality. And obviously, they're a club who um, don't need the money. They have never allowed a player to leave who they valued and wanted to stay. And Zane is someone who, certainly the club value, um, if Guardiola has some doubts about his attitude or personality. But these things can be, I think, can be reconciled. Um, and Zani, with more game time, will be a happier player and therefore be happier at Manchester City. But as we have saw at the end of last season, um, his game time reduced, even though he had a major impact on winning matches, crucial matches, which helped Manchester City to the domestic treble. Um, he's still second choice to Ryan Sterling um, and Bernardo Silva on either side of the flank. Maybe, just maybe, the solution to this would be to play one of those players as a number 10. We know that's David Silva's last season in the Premier League with Manchester City. So perhaps we will see, uh, if Zani stays, we'll see one of one of him, Silva, that's Bernardo, that is, and uh, Sterling play as a 10 behind Aguero or indeed as a false nine. So there are options there, obviously, for uh, how Zani may well be uh, reintegrated into irregular playing time with City. One player who um, will be missing out on playing time or this Friday evening is Harry Maguire. Um, we understand that his transfer to Manchester United is edging closer. The clubs have agreed um, terms on a fee which will go up to £85 million there will be one down payment, uh, substantial down payment before that, and there will be add-ons involved as well. But this is one which uh, the player obviously has made clear he wants. Um, United have made clear their their desire to recruit him. Um, there's a slight suggestion that Leicester City would like Maguire to ask for a transfer. We spoke on Wednesday briefly about what that means. What that means is he will be um, putting himself in a position where he does not uh, get paid any compensation for the contract he signed just at the beginning of this season, a new five-year deal worth around £175,000 a week. So he'd be giving up a lot of money <clears throat> if he asked for a transfer. Um, what is the case, though, is that the, you know there is a, a tacit understanding now uh, between Leicester City and Manchester United that the transfer will happen Leicester City are determined to recruit a replacement before Maguire is allowed to leave. Um, Duncan, you've got some uh, new information with regards to the progress on how that may work out for Leicester City? Yeah, we told you some time ago that the, the two uh, of the targets Leicester City were looking at were Lewis Dunk at Brighton and James Tarkovsky at Burnley. Um, Brighton have got a deal in place for a replacement centre-back who would uh, step into Dunk's shoes, um, similar type player and very tall, 
Um, 24-year-old Adam Webster at Bristol City. They paid a very high fee for um, a player that Bristol City signed just a year ago for uh, an initial three and a half million pounds. The agreement's 18 million pounds plus four million of bonuses, I'm told. And interestingly, when Bristol City um, manager Lee Johnson talked about uh, the likelihood of them selling Webster to Brighton, he used the phrase domino effect um, to explain why the fee was uh, one that was essentially irresistible for Bristol City um, and why uh, they were prepared to, to let that happen. So that would suggest that Lewis Dunk is the, um, the most likely um, uh, centre-back to move to Leicester as a replacement for Harry Maguire. And the, the numbers I'm hearing on Dunk were over £40 million as an asking price from Brighton. Whether they'll be able to achieve that or not, we will see. But um, those kind of figures for centre-backs are really unbelievable numbers when you're, you're looking at Adam Webster, a championship player, uh, for, for the best part of £20 million. Lewis Dunk, who I think has one England cap, asking for £40 million. And then Harry Maguire, um, poised to become the most expensive centre-back in, in the world. Um, what, what's your view on those numbers from, from the Portuguese perspective, Sergio? Well, uh, <laughs> I think uh, in England people got crazy, no? Um, um, I, I know Harry Maguire. Um, I, I see other teams in Europe uh, signing better central defenders uh, for uh, um, less money. <laughs> I mean, uh, I can give you an example, a closer example. Ruben Dias from Ifica is uh, right now a starter for Portugal. Uh, started for Benfica for the last two, and is, has a buyout clause of sixty-six million euros. Um, I honestly think that uh, a player like him would be a, a better signing than Harry, Harry Maguire. Although I understand the fact that he's uh, um, uh, um, an English-grown player, um, increases his price, uh, but uh, it's it's a lot of money in my view for for um, a player like Harry Maguire. I mean. Um, you, you're putting him at the level of um, almost a top striker. Hazard uh, went to Real Madrid a bit much than that. It was not uh, that much uh, the difference. You give an English club money, and he will <laughs> he will he will do a lot of mistakes. And maybe maybe uh, I'm wrong uh, on this, but uh, I don't see I don't see Harry Maguire being uh, um, doing what, for instance, Virgil Van Dijk did in Liverpool. Sergio, when you, when you mentioned. When you mention English clubs getting a lot of money and doing mistakes, tell us about your view of, your view of Danilo, because I think you probably saw the best of Danilo's career during his time in Portugal. But we had, uh, had our friend Julio Gomez Filho on last week um, talking about Danilo and, and the, the amount of money Manchester City put down to sign him. I think he was the third most expensive fullback of all time. When, when they bought him by transfer fee and put him on a big salary and saying for him that was an obvious mistake having watched his his career progress at Real Madrid when they bought him and a mistake that City are still paying for. Yeah, um, when, when he was at Porto, he was actually very good. Uh, actually, this um, from Santos in a, and they made a war with Benfica sign him because Benfica was all, also interested in the player. It was, I think, back in 2010. 
Benfica was uh, Benfica and Porto were looking to him. Benfica wanted him as a midfielder, and he was playing as a midfielder in most of the games in Santos, uh, like an um, inner uh, uh, right midfielder, a bit like Ramirez. Actually, Benfica tried to sign him to replace Ramirez when they sold Ramirez to Chelsea. Um, Porto got in the, the deal, they, they and this Porto had a lot of midfielders by, back then. It, they had Zomotinho, they had I think James Rodriguez was there already. Um, in the end, uh, Daniel was was played most of the times as right back. Um, he was very good uh, in Portugal. He was very good. It was not a surprise that they they in the end they, they sold him to Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, and Real Madrid things didn't go well for him, and he didn't. Uh, fulfilled expectations and of course um, when you sign a player that uh, has failed uh, or hasn't done so well in, in, a, in a top team like Real Madrid uh, then you have to sign him cheap because you should have some doubts about uh, about the player maybe some some issues with mentality uh, because I think his, his, uh, the skills are good the, the has some quality I'm not, I'm not sure if it's there is any uh, focus uh, issues with him uh, on the pitch. Sergio, just a, a little bit of fun. Um, if Maguire is worth more than £80 million, if Van Dijk is worth 75 in this current market, what price Ricardo Carvalho or even Beto? Beto? <laughs> Beto will... <laughs> Don't don't make it, don't make me say it. I will say it. Better would, would go to Real Madrid for sure right now. Uh, maybe <laughs> make hope in the end. He's only forty nine. He'll be fine. He'll, he'll fit in well with Sergio yeah. Ramos. Well, Sergio Ramos, yeah, he could be could be a good a good pair. Um, yeah, uh, but Car- yeah, Carvalho uh, probably is Carvalho is probably the, the best defender I, I, I saw uh, uh, playing in Portugal. Um, I'm 40, by the way, but um, I have a, a long memory of watching football. And Carvalho is, is uh, he was an outstanding defender at his best days, and uh, I think it's the kind of player. Although although Carvalho was never a big uh, leader, and I think when um, when you see a player like Virgil Van Dijk, you see a, a, not only a defender, you see a team leader. And Carvalho had not was never that kind of player. Uh, he was not in Port, he was not in Chelsea, the, the, the team leader, the defence leader. Uh, but uh, 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 his skills were, were outstanding, his speed was outstanding, his ability to read the game. It's, um, it's not a surprise that he, he eventually uh, uh, played the Euro 2016 at the age of 37, 38 maybe. So an amazing player. Amazing career as well, Sergio. He, he really, it's true. It's true. It's true. I think people, I think people kind of underestimate or almost forget just just what a, an amazing kind of career Ricardo had. Yeah, I think that's that's a fact. That's that's because he was never, you know, a boss, a team leader. As you see, Sergio Ramos, Ramos' career is probably more highlighted than Carvalho's career was. Um, John. Terry probably is, is a, he is a player that people will keep in his mem- their, their memories for longer than Carvalho probably, and I think Carvalho was a much better defender and player than John Terry, but uh, that's uh, that's also a matter of um, uh, sometimes you have to not only be a good player but to show that you are a good player, you know. And uh, Carvalho probably was a bit understated himself 
understated. Very, very understated. I think uh, I think that's that's the difference. He's a guy who'd never never sought the limelight. I, I was fortunate enough to interview Ricardo while he was at Chelsea, and and he was a great speaker. <laughs> it's, it's quite quite amusing how how um, eloquent and interesting he was about football because he he obviously avoided interviews and had to push very hard to get him. Uh, the one one element I remember from that interview is asking about um, about the uh, the dirty tricks and the dirty side of being a centre back, and he just laughed and and went and admitted and talked and said, yeah, that's a, that's a key element of being top level. But I I think there's a good argument for um, Ricardo Carvalho as as possibly the best centre back of the Premier League era in terms of absolute ability and and on the pitch. Um, obviously didn't play as long as, as some other players, but um, in terms of quality and um, overall career in football, very hard to beat. And, and Ian's question about how much he'd be worth now, well over €100 million. Euros. No, no doubts um, given you know the pricing of, of Harry Maguire. Um, just on a different planet to Harry Maguire as a centre-back. Let me just... Just tell you a, a small story about Carvalho. Uh, I heard it recently, recently from a coach, uh, an important coach in Portugal that uh, that uh, has worked with him, and he, he said that sometimes he wanted to kill Carvalho uh, during training sessions because he, he was the kind of in the trainings he was not committed, um, he was not taking it seriously. And like he said, I, sometimes I just wanted to kill him because he had so much quality, and uh, when he was. We were working with him during the week. It's like it's it's like he was not he, he was not there, not focused, not paying attention to what was happening. But when he went to the game, he was he was very competitive. Uh, uh, the player you all saw. But but it was funny. I, I think I can tell that the guy who told me this was Fernando Santos that uh, knew him when he when he was at Porto. They they he was very young um, and they they were together for 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 a while in Porto. Well, I can tell you, Sergio, that several Chelsea players who played with Ricardo Carvalho um, have said to me on different occasions that when they were on the pitch, and, they, uh, and I mean this is not defenders, this is midfielders and strikers, uh, when they looked back and saw Carvalho, they knew they were safe. That was the, yeah. that was that was that was the phrase: "We're safe." John Terry, yes, uh, much more, um, you know, kind of uh, theatrical if you like, in terms of the way that he throws himself around and defends. But with Ricardo Carvalho, uh, the players trusted him to always clean up the mess. He was the cleaner. If anything went wrong, Carvalho would intervene and make everything okay. And they loved him for that. And yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he's um, he's had an amazing career. And also, you know, when we talk about people like um, Terry, who will probably be remembered for wearing his shin guards and full kit in Munich in 2012, Sergio Ramos will probably remember for the fact that he's got more red cards than he has trophies. <laughs> Ricardo Carvalho will be remembered as a true great defender. Truly great defender. Now, Duncan, in keeping with the Transfer Window podcast and in with the fact that we are news-driven, because, of course, we give you the news before it becomes news, you have an update for us before we head for the quickfire round. Is that correct? Yeah, just a very quick one that Watford have sold... Um, Dodi Lukibakio to Hertha Berlin um, 
for 20 million euros, which uh, I think is testimony to how efficient uh, Watford's recruitment system is and that they, they bought the player in, in uh, January 2018 for a minimal fee. He played less than a full game for Watford, was loaned to Fortuna Dusseldorf last season, um, was voted, I think, uh, young player of the month in the Bundesliga for his performances at one stage during the season. Uh, and they've now done that deal for very good money, uh, which gives them the firepower to buy uh, the starting uh, attacker they want to add to their squad for this season. We told you earlier that um, they're very interested in Ismail Assar at Reng. Um, I think they, that has been close to completion, but I'm hearing there's been some... Uh, some uh, problems with the deal over the last week. Um, the sense that Crystal Palace may also be trying to get the player um, all very much told that Watford won't go over um, what they consider the valuation of Saar to get him, but to expect that if it isn't Saar, someone else to come in before the, uh, before the window closes. Well, the very mention of Hertha Berlin brings great memories back for me of the great Andreas Derhami Tom um, who signed for Celtic from Hertha some time ago and uh, was a man famed for drilling 35-yard shots into the top corner. Uh, Andy, we know you're listening. Uh, thank you. Uh, on to the quickfire round, guys. Um, we're going to have a bit of fun. We're six days until the transfer window closes, of course, here in the UK. And we are going to ask the guys if they had a transfer wish that they could fulfil, what would that transfer be? And we're not restricting this to current players, current window. We're firing up the DeLorean, allowing the guys to get in the car and go back to the future or future to the back. Uh, Sergio, I'm going to start with you because you are our guest and you should be first up. So please tell us the transfer you wish most to happen. Maybe Beto? From Sporting to Real Madrid, uh, Beto. It it will be funny that would happen now in 2019 because Beto spent uh, his career, uh, most of his career at Sporting, and every summer there was a story in Portugal that uh, Real Madrid would come for him, and I think he's still waiting. He's now 43 years old. Um, he's a technical director at Sporting, and maybe Real Madrid would sign him uh, to technical director. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his lifetime ambition will be realised. Duncan, what about you? I, I'm going to propose a, a, a novel transfer, I think one that's never been seen in football before, but could be an answer to a lot of problems. And that would be um, a new striker for, for Manchester United because they obviously um, need someone in to, uh, to take look. Lukaku's place in the squad um, someone who has a history of, of scoring penalties against the very best but I also want this person to take over as chief executive because I think he has the credentials <laughs> at least to do hang a on, better hang on, job are you, are you inventing a new role player stroke I, chief executive you said any, any transfer we no, wanted no 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 it's fine that. it's fine I just love it I love that, the that, fact you're, you used that, to be player that, coach that, player yeah, chief exec sounds it, great 
Player chief executive, um, as I say, this man, history of, of scoring penalties against the, the very best and um, definitely has the credentials to be a better chief executive than the incumbent at Manchester United. So that would be Ian McGarry um, as a last-minute signing uh, to Old Trafford to replace Ed Woodward and Romelu Lukaku in one fell swoop. Well, 37 goals in, in 29 appearances for the English press team says it all. So How much? Ed, how much would be the transfer, Duncan? Uh, I think Ian would have to pay Manchester United. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Hang on, Duncan. You're my agent. You've got to, you know, got to do, do something better than that. That's <laughs> okay. I take the, I take the commission on the transfer fee, regardless. <laughs> well, well, we know that Ed's big on com paying commissions, so um, he'll be paying commission to be replaced. That'd be interesting. <laughs> All right, I'm going to just. I, I can't resist this because I love this question. I'm going to throw in two. Uh, of my own the first one would be Steven Gerrard to Everton just for the hell of it I, I can't say any more than that <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, the other one for me would be Nico Gaetan to Manchester United oh like like Beto finally finally like, like Beto a lifetime ambition achieved not for Gaetan himself but for all the journalists who wrote the story every summer that Nico Gaetan would join Manchester United. We miss him in Portugal. He was an outstanding player, Nico Gaetan over here. So he was Sergio. Just just briefly tell us, Nico Gaetan was one of the new uh, sort of um, Diego Maradonas, wasn't he? There was a long list of he's the next Maradona. Yeah. Gaetan was one of those. Yeah, left-footed as well. Um, yeah, he, he was. Uh, it was sometimes uh, an annoying player uh, because uh, he, he did some silly mistakes on the pitch and sometimes he seemed he, he was sleeping on the pitch, but he had some, some moments that were pure magic. Uh, he, was, uh, um, he, had, he had the skills of the best players. Then he went to Atletico Madrid eventually and Diego Simeone wanted him to run a bit more than he did, so things didn't go well for him. Nico Gaetan, we know you listen every week. You're always in our hearts here at the Transfer Window Podcast. It's time to wrap up this particular episode. Um, I'd like to say uh, with a multitude of gratitude to Sergio for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. To have you on, Sergio. It was fantastic, as always. And to Duncan as well, of course. Uh, if you like what you hear, and we know you do, please, as we always say, give something back. Log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review. We extend that already burgeoning community, which is the Transfer Window podcast. To continue the debate with us um, on Twitter, you can get Duncan Castles, at Duncan Castles. Sergio, can you tell our listeners your own Twitter handle, please? I'm not on Twitter, actually. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're not? I'm <laughs> I, sure I've, I've seen I've, you there. Yeah, but I've deleted my Twitter account. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, I, I was fed up with all the... The, the stupid inst you've got all Gary Lineker on us actually I have a hidden uh, Twitter that I use you're a stalker. to follow you're the a stalker I'm don't a stalker yeah. don't I tell us told you I told you keep it secret keep it secret uh, yeah. right so then therefore you can't um, continue with Sergio but you can listen to him regularly on the Transfer Window podcast yeah. because he is such a good uh, friend and of course a fount of knowledge uh, in his position as Assistant Director of the CIA in Portugal that um, he will be with us no doubt throughout the coming season um, we will be back with you on Monday and of course Monday marks 
the week which begins the end of this summer window. Don't miss out. We've got three podcasts next week, two of which we're devoting, obviously, mainly to news and transfers that are happening that you will find out first here on the Transwindow Podcast. Until then, we will see you through the window. Thanks for listening.